Hi, I'm Pastor T.K. Anderson with Entrusted Ministries. I'm happy to be your Bible teacher on this great station for today's program. We are in the middle of a fantastic series entitled Freedom, Living Above Your Circumstance. And this study is a look at Paul's prison letters. These are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to brand new Christians in the cities of Philippi, Ephesus, and Colossae. This message series is also a part of my newest book by the same name, and I'd love to send you a copy of the new book. I think it'll be a tremendous blessing to you in your walk with Christ. All you have to do is go to our website, that's entrusted.tv, entrusted.tv, and at our website, just put in a donation for any amount, and I'll make sure the team sends out a copy to you right away. Also, next year, in May of 2024, Along with my church family in Monterey, California, you're invited to join us for a trip to the Holy Land. It's going to be a fabulous time to see for yourself the land of the Bible. In fact, all the information is available for you at entrusted.tv. If you've never been to Israel, this trip I know will be a tremendous blessing to you. Well, thank you for listening today, and I really hope this message is an encouragement to you, and I'll be sure to catch up with you at the end of today's message. Thanks for listening. So I have a question for us today for all of us to consider, and here's what it is. What is the most valuable thing you possess? What do you think it is? Seriously. Is it your car? Is it your house? Is it your 401k retirement program? Yeah, I heard a couple Snickers in the first service too. (laughs) I try not to look at mine anymore. It's getting really bad this year. But is it your health? Is it your talent? Uh, What is it? What is the most valuable thing you possess? In thinking about this topic, I asked for the creative team to make a passport because a lot of people think it's their citizenship that is one of the most valuable things they possess. And I have one of these little passports in my pocket. And every year, the politicians and the pundits talk about this and immigration. But I don't want to talk about our political uh, passports. I don't want to talk about our political citizenship on this earth. I don't think that is the most valuable thing we possess I actually think the most valuable thing that you and I could ever possess is a passport to heaven. How many agree with me? Our citizenship to heaven is something that is unchanging, and it's sealed by God, and the benefits of this status begin the moment we trust in Jesus Christ. It's a miraculous thing that we have. But then I thought to myself, if we feel that this is the most valuable thing, how often do we focus on it? I mean, ask yourself that question. When was the last time you sat down and really contemplated and thought about your citizenship in heaven and all the benefits that come with it? And then a deeper question comes into your mind when you consider this, and that is, why does God tell us anything at all about heaven and eternity? I mean, if you think about it, he didn't really have to. Obviously, one of the reasons why he told us about heaven and eternity is because he wants us there. And so he gave us the plan and the way to get there because he loves us. He wants to be with us. And that is an amazing thing. But I think there's a second reason why God tells us about heaven and why he tells us about eternity. I think it's because we need to know as human beings that there is hope in this world. I think we need to know that we have security in Jesus Christ. I think we need to know that there is a peace that we can find in the presence of God. And there is fellowship with each other and with God and so much more. You see, all of these words that we learn about God in Scripture, about eternity, they reach to the core of our human experience. Isn't that true? 
I mean, think about it. Without the hope of heaven, people would experience deep loneliness. Our fear of eternity or fear of the unknown or fear of death would be rampant. We'd have anxiety and some people would experience a lack of control in their life. And this sends people into panic and depression and all sorts of just unhealthy feelings. God doesn't want us to have that kind of a life. He doesn't want that for you and I. And so he's brought you here today to hear this message. And it's a message, a wonderful message about your passport to heaven and how we can have hope. In chapter 3 of his letter to the Philippians, Paul focuses on this topic. He calls it the ultimate prize awaiting for each of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And he lays out for us six aspects of our citizenship in heaven. And he starts out the chapter by saying that you and I can experience a great rejoicing in our citizenship. Let's check out verse 1, chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Well, why should we rejoice? Well, it's simple, because we now are connected with our heavenly Father. We're connected to a heavenly home, never to be rejected. You know, I remember in high school and in college, we always invited the worst teams, I mean terrible teams, to play against us for our homecoming. Do you remember that? Did your school do the same thing? Hopefully you didn't go to one of the schools where you got invited to everybody else's homecoming game, right? (laughs) That would be pretty bad. But I remember those games. Why? Because we started celebrating before the game ever started. Because we knew the outcome. We were going to win. These guys were terrible. It didn't matter the setback. It didn't matter matter if there was a penalty or a turnover. It was going to be okay because we knew we had victory. That's what Paul's saying here at the outstart of this chapter. In chapter 3, verse 1, he's saying, Philippians, rejoice. You've got this. It doesn't matter how terrible the culture is. It doesn't matter what level of persecution you face. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a prison cell like I am right now. You can rejoice because we've got home field advantage. We're going to win in the end. You know, salvation is like an immigrant standing before a judge when he finally receives his citizenship. We obtain instant legal standing before God as citizens of heaven. And it's as if an angel of heaven walks over from the judgment seat of Christ, transporting a legal document over to the desk of the Holy Spirit, who then seals the spiritual record with a heavenly mark. And then the angel promptly delivers it to the Father, who declares to the realms of heaven and earth, you are hereby declared a citizen of heaven. That's what happens at salvation, and that's why Paul says you should rejoice. Let's see how Paul says it to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, listen, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. And this whole thought, as Paul contemplated it, led him to another thought. And he continues in verse 12 to share his longing to obtain all that God has for him. And this is the second aspect of our heavenly citizenship. It's connected to what I call a restlessness for a perfect citizenship. Let's see how Paul describes it in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this. The this is a reference to his uh, wanting to be like Jesus in his resurrection, but also wanting to be like Jesus in his sufferings. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect in my walk, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. But here's what I do. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in 
Christ Jesus. Did you know that some people think that if you're a Christian, you have to live a perfect life? Did you know that? I've heard people say that to me. And I got to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. It's just simply not true. You know, and we find this in Paul's writing, not only here in Philippians 3, but in other areas. Paul knows that his future is secure, but he doesn't want to take it for granted. He doesn't want to put his Christian life on what I call cruise control. You all know what that is. Sadly, uh, I think there's many Christians who do that. They put their life on cruise control. Perhaps you know of some who have done that. Perhaps you have been uh, guilty of doing that at some point too. Maybe some of you are doing that here today. But to avoid this temptation of putting our life on cruise control, Paul leaves us three clues. Those three clues are to forget the past, be forward focused, and never quit. Check this out in the middle of verse 13. Paul reminds us that one of the keys to living for successfully for God is forgetting what lies behind us. Just forget it. But I got to tell you, when I read that uh, verse this week, I thought to myself, sometimes it is very difficult for us to forget the past, isn't it? It is. It's not always easy. But why do we let the shadow of a thing impact us when the actual thing is long gone? Why do we do that? Especially when it was forgiven by God a long time ago. Did you know that all of your sins, the Bible teaches us upon the cross, all of your sins were placed upon Jesus Christ. When he died upon the cross, all of your past sins, all of your present sins, and all of your future sins were forgiven at that moment in time. Did you know that? God's already forgiven you. So if God's forgiven you, why are you still hanging on to it? Paul says, I have to forget. I'm forgetting these things. He uses a present tense verb, right? English, forget or forgetting. Not past tense, present tense. I have to do this a lot, Paul says. God doesn't, ease our, God doesn't erase our memories for us. We simply have to choose to no longer dwell on the things that are working against us in our spiritual journey. But here's the cool part. When we do this, when we take this first step of forgetting our past, we can then spend this new freed energy on being forward focused. That's what Paul does. Check out the next phrase. He says, I'm going to be straining forward to what lies ahead. It's a reminder that the best option in life is to stay determined to look forward. Think about your car for a minute, right? It's no secret that the windshield of a car is much bigger than the rearview mirror. It's made that way because we need to be looking forward. We have to be able to see where we're going if we want to get where we want to go. Imagine if it was reversed. If your rearview mirror was the size of your windshield <laughs> and the rearview mirror was the way you could look forward, you'd get in a crash, wouldn't you? Unfortunately, that's how some people are living the Christian experience, and they can't figure out why they can't get going. They can't get moving forward. Now, a rearview mirror is, is much smaller, and it's significant. We need to know where we've come from, but it should not come at the expense of being forward-focused in our spiritual walk. So once we've gotten to the place where we've forgotten the past, we've become forward-focused, Paul gives us a third clue that he leaves us to implement a spiritual attitude of what I call never quitting. Check out verse 14. He says, now what I do is I press on. I press on toward the goal for this prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on toward the goal is another way of saying, I'm not quitting. Say that with me. I'm not quitting. Now let's say it like we mean it. I'm not quitting. There's a determination in your voice when you say it that way. I'm not quitting. I don't care what happens. There's a tenaciousness that comes with being a heavenly citizen. That's what Paul's getting at here. We don't give up. We don't quit. We press on toward the goal for the prize, which is a heavenly call of God found in Christ Jesus. 
That is the type of passion that Paul is imparting to his friends in Philippi. That's the type of passion he, by extension, is imparting to us today. That's the type of passion I'm trying my best to impart to you. Never give up on your walk with Jesus Christ. Never give up. He then goes on to verse 17 to share with us that we are not without an example. We have what's called representatives of our citizenship. Check this out in verse 17. He says, brothers, I want you to join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So if you have your notes or your Bible, underline circle example and imitating. Those are the two words here I want to look at. With two older brothers um, and an older sister, I was fortunate to be the youngest of four siblings. And I got to tell you, I understand this point extremely well because I enjoyed the benefits of seeing what worked right and what to avoid. I knew exactly what teachers to take in school and which ones to stay away from. (laughs) I knew what pranks worked on my dad and what pranks to never try. There were a lot of benefits of being the youngest child. It kept me out of a lot of trouble. And in a similar way, that's what Paul's saying here in our spiritual life. Paul is saying, use us as an example. What does that mean to me? What does it mean to you? It means don't feel for a moment that you are alone in your walk with Christ. In fact, Paul is so clear on this point that he writes this phrase, walk according to the example you have in us. And as I said, he uses these two words, imitate and example. They provide a great word picture for us. The word imitate actually means to mimic or it means to copy someone. And he uses this same phrase in at least four different passages, twice to the people in Corinth and twice here to the congregation in the city of Philippi. Let's check these out up on the screen. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, I urge you then be imitators of me. Again, in chapter 11, he says, be imitators of me as I am of who? Christ, right. He says to the Philippians, join in imitating me. And then probably the best, most clear passage, Philippians 4, 9, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, I want you to do what? Practice these things. Practice these things. And here's the promise. I love this part. Don't miss it. And the God of peace will what? Will be with you. That's a promise. See, Paul promises his disciples that as we imitate those who are walking with God, we will begin to experience the presence of God, and the God of peace will be with you. You can find God's peace by imitating the representatives of our citizenship. But Paul tells us what we're looking for. How do I know who to imitate? There's another reason behind this. And so as I studied this, I found there's a great uh, phrase from Paul to one of his protégés, a guy named Titus. And he wrote to him in Titus chapter 2. He said, Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Now, this phrase, a model of good works, it's a Greek word, and it's pronounced tupas, tupas. It's kind of like the rapper. Remember him, Tupac? Kind of like that. Who, who ever thought that the name of a rapper would help you understand biblical Greek? But here you go. Tupas, that's the word. And it means a figure formed by a blow or an impression, kind of like a typewriter striking a page and leaving a mark. That's what it is. And the application is clear. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 3.17 when he said, walk according to the example you have in us. So the word example is tupas as well. And so what's the idea? The idea is that we find spiritual leadership 
who exhibit the character qualities of Christ, and then we follow those who have the image of Christ stamped into their life or typed into their life. And in turn, when we do that, one day we will be the example to somebody else. And so we're never alone. And so we have representatives of our citizenship. And we must be on guard, though, Paul says, because in verse 18, he continues by telling us we have rivals of our citizenship as well. Let's check out verse 18. He says, for many people, unfortunately, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ with minds set on earthly things. And in this point, what Paul is reminding the Christians in Philippi is he is is reminded that there are rivals to our citizenship that attempt to persuade us against and away from the things of God. These are people that attempt to deceive us. They will add on religious requirements or they will talk down the things of God. These are sneaky people. These are deceptive leaders. These are misinformed individuals. And in my experience, mostly they are theologically illiterate as well. But quite literally, Paul calls them enemies of the cross. It's interesting because it is a kind of strong phrase if you think about it, but Paul wasn't lighthearted on this issue. In fact, if you look at this passage, you go back a few verses, he actually called these people dogs earlier in the chapter, and he referred to them as evildoers. Paul was a tough guy. He didn't want to get into an argument with him. But you got to remember, these were people that followed Paul from town to town, They were subverting his work. And even after Paul left town, they would stick around and they would confuse these new believers. Well, guess what? Things haven't changed much. And there still are people in our culture who attempt to confuse us. They attempt to deceive us and misinform us. So you and I need to be on the lookout for anyone or any organization that is contrary to the message of the gospel or contradicts the clear teaching found in God's word. We're going to be a church that teaches God's word clearly. So if you're a wolf today trying to prey on some sheep, there's no room for you here. Just go ahead and leave. We don't want that here, right? And part of my job as the shepherd is if you get out of line, I get to bonk you on the head with my staff, all right? Now I'll do it nice, as nice as I possibly can, but just be ready for that, right? (laughs) And that goes for our small group leaders, our Sunday school teachers, our youth leaders. If you're in any sort of spiritual leadership position, you're part of this. We help to maintain sound biblical doctrine in our congregation. (laughs) So in verse 20, Paul now turns to celebrate again our citizenship. And he paints a beautiful picture for us for what awaits. Now, this is the best part. I've been waiting all week to share this with you. The reality of our citizenship in heaven awaits us. Check this out. But our citizenship is in heaven, he writes. And from it awaits a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, one of the most amazing aspects of salvation is found in this idea of receiving a glorified body one day. A body like Jesus, like he had after his physical resurrection from the dead. You know, in studying this topic in, uh, for a long time, for many, many years now, and a lot of time in my graduate work, I am absolutely convinced this is one of the reasons why early Christians set the world on fire. Because they knew what it meant to interact with a risen Savior in a glorified body. They knew Jesus before he went to the cross. And they now knew Jesus after he rose from the dead. And it didn't matter what happened to them. Because they knew they were going to win at the end of the day. 
Because Christ said, this is what you're going to be like when you get to heaven one day. You're going to have this same glorified body. And so they continually rejoiced. This is what it was about. So I had people ask me, well, pastor, what's this resurrected body going to look like? Well, we have some clues in the Bible. Let's check it out. We know that Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body, while on planet earth, he could actually eat. Did you know that? You're probably going to be able to eat in heaven. Some of you are going to like that, right? There might even be sugar there, but I can't guarantee it. And best guess is no calories. So, or you just burn them off because you have hypermetabolism. I have no idea, but it should be fun to find out. We also know that Jesus could travel independently of a vehicle. Think about that. No planes, no automobiles. He could go from point A to point B. Just boom, he's there. That's pretty amazing. He could walk through objects. He could talk and interact with people just like we do. You could touch him. He wasn't a ghost. He was recognizable by some people, yet he was able to disguise himself to others. And the Bible says he actually ascended into the clouds one day, and the Bible promises us he will descend to the earth again one day. Isn't that amazing? And I got to tell you, we could spend a lot of time on this, but there's just so much we don't understand about his glorified body, but his promise to us. But for now, what I can safely conclude with you today is that this glorified body is somehow not bound by the natural laws of physics that we are accustomed to today. It's going to be a cool thing. And this is a promise from God found here and in many other passages throughout the Bible. And it's one of the direct benefits of salvation. So here's what happens sometimes. I think we focus a lot on forgiveness of sin. We focus on deliverance from our old nature and different elements of salvation. And rightly so, we should do that. We should focus on those things. But for Paul, if you read his, his writings, the totality of it, you'll see that Paul talked about this topic a lot, about receiving a glorified body, a transformed body one day. It was the forefront of his teaching regarding the blessings and the benefits of salvation. Now, some have asked me, when will all this happen? When do I get this glorified body? Well, according to the Bible, it'll help, it tells us that it'll happen when Christ returns for his bride. We're, we're told that when Christ returns, we will, he will transform our physical bodies, those of us who are alive and remain, and those who have passed away, their bodies will be resurrected and will be reunited with their spirit. And so we will have these new transformed immortal bodies just like him. And I got to tell you, friend, it's going to be amazing to be in heaven one day in eternity with billions upon billions of resurrected saints all moving around and doing amazing things. And I say this to you today because this is a reality of your heavenly citizenship. This will happen. And we don't talk about it enough. And I think we should celebrate it more. I really do. Now, this brings me then to our final point, which is a reflection on our citizenship. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, let those of us who are mature think this way, all the ways in which we've been talking about here in this passage, and only let us hold true to what we have attained. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a little uh, uh, thought experiment with me today. I want you to imagine for a moment on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week that you receive a new passport in the mail. And it's not a passport that you've ever seen before. It's a passport with your name and with your picture but it says a passport to heaven. And in the envelope of the passport, there's a ticket, and it's a one-way ticket to heaven. And so there in your hand is a passport and a ticket to heaven on Tuesday. How would you feel at that moment? Would you feel pretty happy? Would you feel pretty rejoiceful? Would you feel like you just won the lottery? Would you feel like you did better than winning the lottery? 
That's the thought Paul's going after here in this passage. That's the type of picture we should be reflecting on more often. Why? Because it is real. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven one day. Your ticket has been purchased and your passport has been created. Look how Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. He says this to the believers there in Corinth. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. No, be infants in evil. That's good. But in your thinking, be mature. This is what mature Christians do. We think about these things. Paul knows to enjoy our heavenly citizenship, we need to reflect upon it often. This also brings us, unfortunately, to the end of our three-chapter study in the book of Philippians. We began the letter to Philippi, learning that it's a letter about rejoicing. And we've surveyed three of Paul's most famous passages over the last three Sundays. We discovered that we can indeed rejoice through hardship, We can rejoice in humility, and all the while today we learn by rejoicing in our citizenship in heaven. Paul delivers for us a masterpiece on how to rejoice in all, through all, ultimately because Christ gave his all. So my question for you today is, have you given your all to him? If you have, if you're a Christian today, then you have a passport to heaven. You're a citizen right now under the authority of God's word. So I encourage you this week to walk like it, talk like it, and live like it and start today. Hey, thank you for listening to today's message. I really hope you were encouraged by God's word and that your faith was strengthened. I don't know what you're going through today, but with God's help and with all the resources of heaven behind you, I know that God is more than able to meet you right where you're at today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for those listening today. I pray that your goodness and your greatness will surround them in a powerful way. I pray for your protection and your provision in their life. May your peace guard their heart and mind until the day of Jesus' return or until you call us home. Bless us today as we serve you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Andrew? You've been listening to Entrusted Ministries with Pastor T.K. Anderson of Compass Church in Monterey County, California. Entrusted Ministries is provided to you by partners just like you across the country. If you'd like to help us to continue to share the love of Jesus with the world, you can go to entrusted.tv. That's entrusted.tv to make a donation. And remember, for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Pastor Anderson's newest book, Freedom, Living Above Your Circumstance. Thank you for listening, and see you next week at this same time on this same station.